Game Changer Episode 24, Killer Gamification, Engaging for Impact. Welcome to Game Changer, a series on using gamification to engage employees. Join us as industry experts discuss one of the hottest trends in business today. Using game thinking to engage employees in work, wellness, recruiting, and more. This is a special podcast series by the producers of the top-rated podcast, The Engaging Leader. And now, with nearly 20 years of experience helping engage hundreds of thousands of employees at Fortune 500 companies and other organizations, here's your host, Jesse Leahy. Welcome to the show, Game Changers. This is the show for CEOs, HR executives, and other business leaders to learn about internal gamification. Over the course of this series, you'll hear examples and pitfalls, discover how to assess when it's an appropriate strategy, and learn to evaluate gamification partners and game design ideas. I am Jesse Leahy, and I'm excited to announce a new book that was just published called Gamification, Engaging Your Workforce. It's a compilation of several thought leaders in the space of employee gamification, edited by Fiona Prouding from the ARC Group. Several of our past Game Changer uh, guests are featured in this book, including Andrew Marshevsky, Yukai Chow, Stephen Kalkanen, and Thomas Sue. And I was excited that I, I was invited to write chapter two in the book, which is called Employee Gamification for Impact, One Drive to Rule Them All. This chapter talks about how most gamification applications that are out there today are predicted to fail. In fact, Gartner has predicted that 80% of current gamified applications will fail to meet business objectives due to poor design, ineffective communication, or ill-defined business objectives. But even so, another report by Gartner said that 40% of global 1,000 organizations will use gamification as the primary mechanism to transform business operations. So if poor design is a primary culprit of failed gamification, how can you improve your chances of success? Well, of course, you have to start with defining the right business objectives in the first place. But after that, the most important key is to target the right motivators, the drives that will make people want to engage and that stimulate the right thoughts and actions to accomplish your objectives. So what I'd like to do in this episode is to dig a little bit into the drives that are behind gamification, especially some of the confusion that causes so much gamification to fail. And then and, and as part of that, we're going to talk about the four game drives. But then in a future episode, we will cover more completely the four game drives, as well as a case study about those. And we will especially talk about one drive to rule them all. There is one of the four game drives that is absolutely key in employee gamification. Now, today we're going to talk about killer gamification, specifically, how do you make sure that you're engaging for impact? If you've listened to much of the episodes in the game in this Game Changer podcast series, or if you've done any studying at all about gamification, you've probably run into the Bartle player types. There's four player types, one of which is 
killer. And that's exactly what I'm referring to when I call it, when I talk about killer gamification. The killer player type identified by Bartle has created a lot of confusion. Uh, and so I want to I want to tackle that head on in this episode. But first, we need to go back several decades before Richard Bartle, all the way to the 1930s, with the discovery the discovery of the three needs. So before there was ever four player types, there was something called three needs that had been identified by a Harvard psychology professor named Henry Murray. And Murray analyzed the motivations of people. And he did that not by directly asking people what motivated them. Because, of course, people don't, they think they know what motivates them, but in a way they're just, uh, they're fooling themselves. So instead, he developed a, an exercise to identify their subconscious thought patterns. And this exercise is actually still widely taught and used today. While evaluating people this way, he identified over 300 human needs. In the 1930s, those needs were organized and prioritized by none other than psychologist Abraham Maslow. And of course, that became the famous Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs Pyramid, or we often call it the Maslow Pyramid. So it's another way of saying that Maslow was a student of Murray and took Murray's research one step further by organizing and prioritizing them. Again, in a lot, a lot of the literature you'll read on gamification, they will talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But it's interesting to know where those needs came from in the first place, that it's actually started with 300. It's also interesting to know that further research took place after Maslow by one of Maslow's students in the 1950s and 60s. One of his students, David McClelland, ended up becoming a psychology professor also at Harvard. And McClelland led a team that did further research he didn't just start with where Maslow left off. He, he did that, but he also went all the way back to Murray's 300 needs. And they discovered that three of the needs, which became known as the social motives or the three needs, are the most common by far. It's, it's not even close. In fact, over 80% of all people worldwide are motivated by some combination of these three needs that I'm going to share with you. And this is true whether people are rich or poor and from developed or undeveloped nations. So just let me break that down for you to say, okay, I'm, I'm about to reveal these three underlying motivations. And this would suggest that if you made gamification, it would work with 80%, based on these three needs, it would work with 80% of all people worldwide. That's whether they're from the US or Europe or some third world country, that they, they all have some common needs. And even more remarkable, they found that 90 of if you just focus on U.S. knowledge workers, okay, corporate America, 97% of corporate America is driven by at least one of these three needs. The three needs are achievement, affiliation, and impact. Now, what are those? Achievement is, is the need to complete tasks, to accomplish goals, to take moderate risks, to master a task or situation, and to receive regular feedback on progress and achievements. 
So if you're one of the people that are motivated primarily by the achievement need, you're going to like excellence and efficiency and career advancement and beating the competition and beating past personal records and being unique. Generally, you're going to prefer individual work and you're going to respond well to individual incentives. So I don't know about you, but as I hear what achievement about is about, I do identify with some of that. The second need of the three needs is affiliation. This is the need to belong to a group, to be accepted and liked, and to create and maintain close personal relationships. So if you are, if this is you, you're going to like friendships, socializing, collaborating rather than competition, certainty rather than risk. You're going to like to avoid conflict. You're going to want to avoid negative notice and you're going to want to avoid being disliked by anyone. You probably prefer to work in groups and you prefer group incentives. So you're somebody that probably gets a lot out of Facebook, let's say, and you get a buzz every time someone uh, clicks like on something that you wrote or did. And you are going to completely try to avoid anybody flaming you on Facebook. You're going to want to stay away from all those controversies that people start arguing about on Facebook. And then the third of the three needs is impact, which is sometimes described by researchers as power. So impact or power. This is the need to influence, to teach or encourage others. If you, if this is what drives you, you're going to like status, prestige, reputation, influential relationships. Now, why, why do you, why would you like status and prestige? Because it helps you have impact on other people. If you have a better reputation, you're going to better able to influence and impact other people. You're going to like accomplishing group goals, and you're going to like making a difference in people's lives. You probably prefer to pursue the big picture or long-term purpose, and you'll do that even if it requires change or flexibility. And what's interesting is you'll pursue that even if you don't get feedback or if you get negative feedback. So someone who's primarily driven by impact can go long periods of time without getting feedback or, or even getting negative feedback. Now, most of us are going to feel some of ourselves in all three of those. And there's not like a right or wrong. It's just what kind of how you're wired, what you're more motivated to do. But most people will have some of all three, but there'll be one of the, the three that drives them most. And then there'll be a secondary one uh, as well. That is, that is certainly more than the third item. Now, this, these three needs, the research that was done by Murray and Maslow and McClellan and additional researchers after them, uh, including David Burnham, they didn't just make this up out of the sky. They did research on hundreds of thousands of people, literally hundreds of thousands of people. So very much empirically based research. Now let's fast forward to 1996 with Richard Bartle, who is also a professor. He's at the University of Essex, and he published a paper on player personality types in multiplayer online video games. And he described what has become the best-known model of player types 
in, in the world of video games as well as gamification. And it's often used by game designers to plan and design or even to just improve a game. His, the four player types that he identified are achiever, socializer, killer, and explorer. Now, let me just say right up front, this did not come from empirical research. Bartle actually, in his paper, said, quote, do not expect a conventionally rigorous approach to the subject matter, unquote. But instead, what he did was he facilitated a six-month-long online discussion among highly experienced players. So these are very much geeks that are playing kind of Dungeons & Dragons type uh, games. It's, it's a field that's come to be called massive multiplayer online role-playing games. So, so the most common example today would be World of Warcraft. And so over the course of six months, Bartle facilitated this discussion among people that play these a lot and, and just sort of talking about, hey, did you, did you notice that there's different types of people playing this game and some people act certain ways and, and are motivated by completely different things? Why do you suppose this type of person even wants to play the game? They're not even going after the same kinds of goals or objectives that most of us are. Uh, or what about those type of people? They're, they're, they're playing for a completely different reason. Well, after all this discussion, he kind of filtered through all that and identified these four player types. Now, I would say, just because this wasn't empirical-based research, doesn't mean it's not true. Because sometimes intuition and experience can be more powerful than empirical research. And I'll give you a case in point. It's the Myers-Briggs instrument. Uh, A lot of uh, you may be familiar with this, but that's where you take a a certain assessment and you get a four-letter code that describes you, whether you're introverted or extroverted, you either get an E or an I, and thinking versus uh, feeling, and uh, so forth. And most really hardcore empirical researchers in the field of psychology will say that there's no empirical basis for Myers-Briggs. Basically, it was a, a layman back, I think it was in the 20s, that kind of just came up with this four-part model out of the blue. And there's not a lot of uh, empirical validity for it. There's a lot of good arguments that say we shouldn't be paying attention to it at all, that it doesn't actually predict behavior as well and so forth. And yet, Myers-Briggs is still arguably the world's most popular psychometric assessment tool. The, I will the, talk to so many career coaches, executive coaches, and so forth that just continually come back to this instrument because it makes sense, it works, people get it, and people find it helpful. So that is, I would also say the same thing about Bartle's player types. It may not be based on empirical research, but here we are almost 20 years later, it's still the best known model of, of understanding player motivation. It's still widely used today. So let me talk about what these four are very briefly because you're probably very likely you're already aware of them. Achiever is somebody who prefers to gain points, levels, equipment, and other concrete measurements of succeeding in a game. So an achiever likes showing off skills, competing, and receiving praise. A socializer prefers interacting with other players. So they, they, they want to interact with people rather than the actual game itself. They like engaging with friends meeting people, making new friends, and helping others. They dislike competition. The explorer prefers discovering new information or areas, creating maps, 
and learning about clues or hidden places. They like detail, puzzles, and discovering and sharing secrets. And then finally, the killer prefers influencing other players or the game environment, either through destruction or through leading or helping or healing or building or creating. They like imposing their will. They like notoriety, whether good or evil. They like friendly competition, and they like leading a community. Now, the four of those four player types, there's two that are particularly, I think, cause confusion. The, the, the one that's maybe less obvious is achiever. It causes confusion because it's almost like so easy to design a game based around the achiever motivation. And a lot of game designers and the business people, the business sponsors, let's say, of, of a gamification application are achievers themselves. And they kind of assume that everybody else is motivated by that achievement drive as well. So many, many games are almost totally based on achievement. They're based on points and levels and uh, getting uh, skills and uh, competing and receiving praise. And so it's actually one of the greatest attributes of Bartle's four player types is to just create greater awareness among game designers that there are four different types of motivation, or at least there's more than just achiever. And we've had past guests on the show, Andrew Marshevsky, um, Yukai Chow, who had similar models um, either, that, that tend to be de- further developed than Bartle's four player types, which is from 1996. And, and they all, at the, at the core, the main point is, look, there's multiple types of fun, multiple types of motivation. And so don't be overly simplistic when you design gamification. You need to Uh, appeal to more than one type. So one of the types of confusion is that kind of over-focus on achiever. The second has to do with killer, which is kind of the main point of this uh, podcast episode. Most of the time, when people look at the the Bartles four-player types, they understand the killer type literally as a player who wants to kill other players. And of course, there are plenty of video games where there is a lot of killing involved, um, or even just uh, destroying things. It, it sounds like a destructive kind of motivation. And as Andrew Marshevsky said when we had him on uh, a recent episode, episode 23, in the real world, in the business world, you can't kill people. So what use is the is any discussion about the killer player type. It may have made sense in Bartle's world of, of uh, mo- massive multiplayer online games, but it doesn't really work in gamification. So from that v- standpoint, it's overly simplistic. So to address that, let me go back to those three needs because there's a clear parallel going on here. Again, the three needs are achievement, affiliation, and impact. Bartle's four player types, achiever, socializer, explorer, and killer. The achievement of the three needs obviously correlates with the achiever. Secondly, the socializer among Bartle's four four player types, the socializer needs affiliation. That's another one-to-one match. Let's skip explorer for now, but then the killer 
needs impact. There's a one-to-one relationship between the killer player type and the impact need. Now, perhaps you think that's a bit of a stretch, and you're probably not alone. So let me break that down a little bit. There's there's two things that we need to to clarify here. Uh, I call the the two problems that need clarification: killer confusion and killer constraints. Now, killer confusion is a recognition of this confusion of the killer label and definition itself, which I referred to earlier when I said that people tend to think it really literally refers to killing. And here's just an example. In an interview with Management Today, the chief scientist at the company Lithium, Michael Wu, says, Killers are the gamers who are out to win. They are rewarded not through commercial or physical incentives, but by leveling up, receiving likes, and creating value that is recognized across the community. Killers usually start engaging in the social conversation to climb the ladder much as you would in a game. Earn stars, get a new avatar, or get a new level. Now, if you may be scratching your head as you listen to that. It's just like I was scratching my head. That doesn't actually sound like a killer. That sounds like achievement. That's the achiever who has the motivators of achievement and advancement and competition. But it's just so hard to talk about what killer means in the world of gamification that people end up muddying the waters and they're describing the killer type, but they actually do it in words that are more about achievement. I like how uh, Amy Jo Kim, a very well-known game designer, she says, a key value of Bartle's system is to raise awareness that different people enjoy different types of fun. It's also useful for debugging some of the more simple-minded thinking around gamification, particularly the limit appeal of achiever-style points, badges, and levels. So the first, the, the killer confusion is that, well, gosh, in gamification you can't kill people, so uh, if we're going to try to design beyond just achievement, what does it mean to design for a killer player type? So I'll, I'll address, the, I'll, I'll provide a solution for that in just a bit here. But secondly, as killer constraints, the killer label and definition is, is too narrowly focused, at least as Bartle has defined it and how it's, it's traditionally been applied since Bartle. It's too narrowly focused on behaviors that are observed in a specific type of game, the, the massive multiplayer online role-playing games like World of Warcraft. It's, it's definitely less helpful in designing other types of games and especially in designing gamification because gamification is intended to accomplish business purposes. It's not really to provide an opportunity for genuine gameplay that might include killing other characters. Now, Amy Jo Kim, who I referenced earlier, in, by 2012, she had determined that the Bartle model was too simplistic. It doesn't generally work well for casual, social, and serious games. And so based on her practical experience over years of game design, as well as her experience teaching, she came out with and tested a modified model that she said captures the motivational patterns that she is actually seeing in modern social gaming and social media. And so she described them as four social engagement verbs. The first one is compete, which is very similar to Bartle's achiever. The second is collaborate, which is very similar to Bartle's socializer. 
And uh, it's kind of an interesting way to look at it. It involves collaboration and collective action as a purposeful, non-zero-sum way of socializing. So that would describe Facebook likes. I mean, you can give somebody a like and nobody loses in that. It's not a, there's no win-lose scenario. You're just giving somebody a like and it's a, it, there's no zero-sum there. Uh, also, the Kickstarter projects. A l- collaboration is driving a lot of today's most innovative and influential social systems. So there's Collaborate, which is similar to Bartle's Socializer. There's Explore, which is identical to Bartle's Explore. So, so far we've talked about three of them, Compete, Collaborate, and Explore. She replaces Bartle's Killer with what she calls Express. She says self-expression is a key driver for modern social gaming and social media and a major motivator for engagement. Uh, People who enjoy self-expression are motivated by gaining a richer palette and greater abilities to showcase their creativity and express who they are. Now, I think it's funny that this is actually an ironic departure from Bartle because his original paper joked that killers are people of few words. And here, Amy Jo Kim is, is replaced killer with express, which is all about, as she says, self-expression. So it seems kind of arbitrary, doesn't it, that Kim has arbitrarily replaced killer with express. But The science shows that it's it's actually, again, she's operating, I think, out of an intuition there, but the intuition is actually founded in truth because the underlying motivator for both the killer type and the express verb that Kim describes is the impact need. If you go back to those three core needs, the impact need is going to fuel both the behaviors that Bartle describes in the killer, as well as this express social engagement that Amy Jo Kim is describing. And the research on the impact profile does support Kim's model. In other words, Bartle may have said killers are people of few words when he was joking, but in fact, according to the researchers, especially David Burnham, impactors tend to be fluent with words and more likely than other types to become renowned authors and artists and architects. In Bartle's experience, players motivated by impact, or what he called killers, he said they impose their will on others or on the environment, yeah, most often by killing off other characters in the types of games that he was looking at, but also by leading others or creating buildings, creating a virtual society, healing others. And in Kim, Amy Jo Kim's experience, players motivated by this impact need express themselves. Why do they express themselves? She says that they do it to showcase their creativity and express who they are. The underlying research would say that they are expressing themselves not just for the sake of expression, but they do it to influence, teach, or encourage others. So why does Bartle see people killing others? They do it to influence or impact others. Why did this Kim see people expressing themselves? They do it to influence, teach, and encourage others. So the underlying need there is impact. This is more than just simple nuance. Say, oh, you're just replacing killer and express with impact. That's just semantics. 
No, it's actually a clarifying lens that can make it easier to design and evaluate effective gamification. Impact is a core drive. Unlike killing or expressing, it's one of the basic three needs. And so rather than starting with secondary questions about your gamification application, such as, should we allow players to kill people? Or should we allow people to express themselves? You can start with more fundamental questions like these. How can we help people feel they are making a difference that affects other people? How can we give people opportunities to influence, teach, or encourage others? How can we provide opportunities for people to boost their impact capital? In other words, to enhance their potential to influence others, such as with an increased status or increased prestige or increased reputation or more influential relationships. What do you, why do you think that a lot of us get a kick out of having more and more and more Facebook friends or more and more LinkedIn connections because that's more relationships. But then you start to discover that eh, not all relationships are equal. Why should, why, if I'm going to have followers on Twitter, for example, do I want a thousand followers that are not influential or do I want to have, do I really care about a hundred people that when they want to retweet my stuff or share what I'm talking about, a lot of people see it and care. So those are influential relationships. And then a fourth question would be, how can we give people a chance to feel they're accomplishing group goals and making a difference in people's lives? So if you are a gamification planner, either a designer or the business sponsor, and if you want to if you ask those questions, you still could end up deciding, yep, we want to have one of the things we want to do is let people kill people or we want to let people express. So it may come back to those two uh, downstream actions that are based on the impact drive. But it could lead to other features that also appeal to the impact need, such as curating content, facilitating a discussion, or creating a village. Now, in a future episode, I'll talk more about some of the specific practical applications of this principle, but let's just end this discussion about killer gamification by saying, okay, if you look at Bartle's player types and you say, what, you know, killer doesn't really apply to us, or you look at Amy Jo Kim's social engagement verbs and you say, well, express, that doesn't really have a good uh, application in this gamification. I want to encourage you to look underneath those actions that sound like killer or express, killing and expressing, and look at this question of impact, because that's the drive that led to those two. And so you got among those four types, and we'll talk about the explore next time, but uh, the, the three that you want to make sure that you um, do a good job in, in including the motivations of different types of people are achievement, affiliation, and impact. If you can give people a chance to do those types of, uh, to, to satisfy those types of underlying needs, your gamification is more likely to appeal to people in 80% of the world and in corporate America or probably likely other similar knowledge worker type places, you're going to appeal to 97% of people. So that is a pretty good um key that you're you're targeting the right motivators therefore you've got the drives that are going to make people want to engage 
and you're on the road to having a successful gamification because you've got the right design. So we'll talk about practical application in a future episode, but for now, that wraps up this episode of Game Changer. If you enjoy this series, be sure to check out the weekly leadership podcast, Engaging Leader, where my guests and I share more ways to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Until next time, remember, life is short, so keep it fun. You can find both Game Changer and Engaging Leader podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at engagingleader.com. To stay up on the latest news and trends in internal gamification, join the Game Changer group on LinkedIn. We'll automatically direct you to our LinkedIn group when you go to engagingleader.com group. Subscribe to our e-digest at engagingleader.com newsletter. When you do, we'll send you a free copy of Jesse's ebook, Eight Communication Tools for Leaders. You can also follow Jesse on Twitter, at Jesse Leahy, and like us at facebook.com slash engagingleader. Game Changer is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that helps mid-sized and large employers attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, and Peter McIsaac, who composed our theme music. 